morning, Gateway Church. We are a growing family after God's heart, and today we're starting a brand new series on the life of Joseph. And uh, we're going to be using the book by Stephen Elliott. The, the, it's entitled, Joseph, A Story About a Family, as a primary resource, all right? So I, I, want, I want you to get this book, and it's autographed by the author. And he autographed my copy. He was here in the spring at district conference. He was preaching, and uh, he talked a lot about Joseph. In fact, I was sitting right there on the front row, and, and I, was, I was praying about what, what's the next series here at Gateway Church, and felt like the Lord was leading me to, to preach a series on the character of Joseph, inspired by, by Pastor Elliot here. And so you can pick up one of these books for just $10, all right? I want to encourage you to, to get involved in a, in a Joseph study group. There's a sign-up sheet out in the back, and you'll be very encouraged. I've read through this, this book. It's done. The Lord's used it in my own life, and I know God's going to use it in the life of our church. So we're going to talk about family life. In the introduction, he writes... Home is where the story begins for each of us. Your story and mine find their roots, their DNA, in the place where it began for all of us at home. The stamp of life was placed on us there. All we are today traces its way back to our parents and siblings, our contexts and circumstances, our sorrows and pains our joys and discoveries. Home really is where our story begins. And Joseph, the subject of this book, had a home. This first chapter in the book, titled Negatives Found in the Family Album. Isn't that an interesting title? There were negatives found in Joseph's family picture. There's pain in the frame like the one that hung on the goatskin wall in the tent of Joseph's father, Jacob. There are negatives found in our family albums as well. Think of your own family or family of origin. Everyone here could talk about some kind of pain or a specific family struggle that we are presently in. For some, you're thinking, there's just too much pain to talk about it. I would rather not go there. We all have some kind of family abnormality to deal with, don't we? And we just wish we, we could be normal, that things in our family could go the way that they're supposed to go. This past week, I was sitting on the chair in the living room, and I heard the conversation that our twins were having, A.J. and Ashton. And Deanna is, is teaching them how to wash their own clothes, so they sort out the darks and the whites, and she's taught them how to, you know, do that and, and put the soap in the wash machine, et cetera, et cetera. And I hear at AJ, he shouts out, what button do I push on the dryer? And Ashton's downstairs, and he's not listening, he's doing something, and AJ says it again, what button do I push on the dryer? Finally, Ashton responds, 
normal 45 minutes. And I, you know, I had to laugh because I went and looked at, at the uh, dryer. All right, there it is. <laughs> it's like, I just want to be normal. I just want to, you know, sometimes we pray that, Lord, in our families, can we just push the normal button? Not, maybe even ultra delicate sometimes. <laughs> normal 45 minutes. And then after 45 minutes, you know, the, the, and they're so adamant about putting them in at the right time. And when that buzzer goes off, I mean, they're right there. They take them out of the dryer, and everything is wrinkle-free. Man, I wish I lived in a family like that. But the reality is that normal is constant change. We're always dealing with some kind of change in family life. Kids never stay kids. They grow up. They enter into the teenage years, adolescent years. Change can be good and not so good. Change can be bad and hurtful and painful because of the sin that we commit. We never sin in isolation. That's the lie of the enemy. My sin always impacts the people I love the most. Enter Joseph. Joseph's life was a life of change. And the kind of change that he went through often brought pain. But that's not what defined him. What defined him was the faithfulness of God right in the middle of the pain of his family. And so I'm going to start by reading a portion of his story beginning in Genesis 37. I'm not even going to project the words. It's a long chapter. I'm just going to begin to read the word. Listen to the story. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, in the land of Canaan. Genesis 37, verse 2. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Here it is. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about him. So what do we have here on the front end? Joseph, how old? He's 17. He's a prideful, spoiled, rotten, know-it-all teenager, right? Tattletailing on his brothers. It's there in the story as we continue in the story and what you read before going on here, he was like that. He rats on his brothers. The text doesn't say what the brothers did. But when dad hears about this, this isn't going to be good for them. He brought a bad report about them to dad. Now, verse 3, Israel Jacob loved Joseph more than any of, us, of his other brothers. Not good. Why is that? 
Dad clearly shows favoritism to Joseph. He'd been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornament robe for him. It was a robe that kings would would wear. And so he gives it to Joseph, basically saying and communicating to the whole family, he's the anointed one here. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, favoritism is always divisive and toxic in family life. My mom had this unusual way of making every sibling in our family feel like they were the favorite. I mean, we would laugh and joke about it. You know I'm the favorite one. But what, re- what, what would I really feel like if Paula was? Mom's favorite child. Some of you know that pain. How would that make you feel? The text doesn't mince words. They hated Joseph for that. So what it says, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, verse 5, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to the dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, and this is a dream that God gave Joseph. What should have Joseph done with the dream? Held on to it. Like Mary. Remember what Mary did when the angel came? She pondered that. She pondered all of that in her heart. What did Joseph do? This spoiled, rotten, know-it-all teenager. He gets in the face of his brothers and says, hey, you're going to bow down to me, just like it says in this dream. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheave rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Joseph, we hate you. Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time, the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me when he told his father, as well as as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Verse 12. I want you to go home later on and just read chapter 37. Read the story for yourself. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel told Joseph. This is another thing that as a father, he should have known better. He should have been more wise. He sets his 
his son up for what happens next. What do you think Joseph's wearing when he goes to check up on the brothers that hated him? His coat. They sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dotham. So Joseph went after his brothers, found them. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. That's how much they hated him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. Throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. They took him, threw him in the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. They sat down to eat their meal. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. And you know the story. They sell him into slavery. They kill an animal. And they put its blood and tear his robe. And they bring back the robe to the father that loved Joseph the most. And said, check this robot, is it your son's? And the dad mourns in such a way that he says to his sons, I cannot be comforted. I will die with a broken, grieving heart. Talk about pain in the frame of this family. Pastor Elliot spends three chapters in the book specifically writing about the dysfunction of this family. Reuben is the firstborn. In that culture, he, he ought to have been the pride and joy of his father, but he wasn't. Why? Because if you look deeper into the story, he was born to Jacob's unloved and uncherished wife, Leah. He was not Reuben, the darling firstborn son. He was Reuben, the unwanted son of the unloved Leah. And that pain, that kind of pain often finds an outlet. Read the story. You'll see what happens to Reuben. Leah, Jacob's first wife, is the unloved wife. There's no greater pain than to be in a relationship where you feel unloved and uncherished. Some of you have felt that, are feeling that in your families. Jacob is the passive father. And if you had a, a dad like that, he was there, but 
Really, he wasn't there. He wasn't very wise in the dealings with his family. We read about that. Did you know that Joseph was 15 when his mom, Rachel, died? Both son and husband mourn her passing. And to top it all off, the pain of a broken-hearted father who loved Joseph more than life believes he was torn limb from limb by a wild animal. And he refuses to be comforted. Joseph, hated by his own brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, pain in the frame. We just want to get to the end of the story. Maybe you know the end of the story. It's, it's a great ending. We want to get there as fast as we can. But the power of this family story is in the through. We have to work our way through it, just like in real life. There are lessons to be learned. The good news of the story of Joseph is that God will use the adversity that you're going through to refine your character. I know we don't like to hear it, but it's the truth. The truth sets us free. There's lessons to be learned, number one. No family is exempt from adversity. We're in constant change. Some of you are facing major decisions that are very stressful in your family. Maybe you're a single parent through death of a spouse or divorce, the pain of divorce. God does say in the word that he hates divorce, but listen, he didn't say that he hated people who are in divorce. His heart is broken for the pain that divorce has caused. Pain in the frame. We want you to know if you're going through that kind of pain, that you don't need to be ashamed to come here. You don't need to act like everything in your family is going great when you come here. We want this to be a safe place, a real place. You can come with your pain. You can be honest about your pain. No family is exempt from adversity. Your family may look like it's not. Your family may look like it's all put together, but we know the truth because what's true about you is true for for me, for all of us. Your relationships are strained. That's normal. Maybe you feel the pressure to provide for your family when you're unemployed. It's disillusioning to be in a place like that. 
Maybe there's health issues in your family. Someone is sick. Someone has cancer. Someone has a chronic condition. Maybe you're caring for an elderly parent or mourning the loss of a parent who died. And maybe it's been one year or two years or three years. But there are moments when that pain hits you in your heart and you just wish they were there. You wish you could see them again and talk to them. Give them a hug. Maybe maybe there's a pain of an unresolved issue with a parent or the heart-wrenching pain of a son or daughter that has rejected your values and has gone their own way. So it's normal. Two. No enemy is more dangerous than passivity. Read the whole story and you will see the inactivity of Joseph's father, Jacob. Jacob's home was anything but a safe shelter. In fact, it was a storm center of activity. Except for a few brief interludes of piety, Jacob simply couldn't be trusted. Unfortunately, his lack of integrity and passivity had dire consequences for his children. Listen. No trial is beyond the redeeming touch of Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. I had the privilege this past week to to spend a half a day with other pastors in the area. Our president, Dr. John Stumble, invited us to spend some time with him. And whenever that happens, I'm inspired. It's the character of Christ that draws me to Dr. Stumble. He's like a Joseph in that he spent time in his own personal prison regarding his health. He spent a year and a half in a wheelchair, unable to swallow, with his body wasting away, and God raised him up and miraculously healed him. And now he's leading a movement of over 2,000 churches in the United States and close to 1,000 missionaries worldwide. And with passion, tears welling up in his eyes, he said this, never, ever stop preaching Christ. It's like, I don't need to say this, but I need to say this. We have to be places of hope. You have to preach Christ. He's the only answer. No trial is beyond the redeeming touch of Jesus Christ. So I conclude with this question. How can Jesus Christ impact our families? What do you know about Jesus? He loves unconditionally, right? He forgives extravagantly. 
He speaks truthfully. He cares compassionately. He encourages intentionally. That's the kind of family that we want to be here at Gateway Church. If we can be like Jesus, he would impact our families. What would happen in our families if we really loved each other like Jesus loved us? No strings attached. Just pure love. Not because of. Some of you are still fighting an upward battle because a parent didn't love you the way God loves you unconditionally. There were strings attached all over it and you carry in your heart the wound of never really making it. Still trying to get that approvement, approval. What would happen in our families if we really forgave others like Jesus has forgiven us? Dr. Stumbo told this story about forgiveness. It was between a service. He didn't have a lot of time. And this older gentleman came forward and, and uh, he could tell that, that physically he, he wasn't doing well at all. And this man began to tell a story. He, he was a Vietnam vet. And he was very, very sick. And he said, Pastor, can God forgive me? I did some awful things. I was only doing what they told me to do. I was following orders. Can God forgive a person like me? And John said, he just, he went into this theological mode. He was, he was, he was searching for theological answers. And he said, yes, God can forgive you of any sin. The man said, oh, I thought that's what you would say. I was just hoping that you had a word for me. He turns around and begins to walk out the the door. John said, it was like, oh, I was going, oh, God, here's someone going who doesn't have hope. He's leaving this place without any hope. And instantaneously, the Holy Spirit put this message in his heart and he said, wait, wait. The Roman soldiers. Do you remember what Jesus said to the Roman soldiers? They were were men under orders. Do you remember what Jesus said? Looking down from the cross, he said, Father, Forgive them. The man said, yes. God has forgiven me. 
He left changed, forgiven. What would happen in our families if we forgave each other like Jesus forgives us? Speak truthfully. You know, truth confronts the passivity in my life. Gets me off the couch. Gets me in the game. Get engaged with your family, dads. Start asking more questions. Listen intently. Seek first to understand. And then be understood and respond. Interact with your family. Don't wait until anger gives you reason to talk. Then you make a bigger mess. Hear me, I've done that too many times in my life. Believer, I want you to know about Jesus. That he has the power to refine your character. And really, Christ-like character makes all the difference. So ask the Holy Spirit to minister to you at this moment. I'm going to ask you to stand for just a few minutes. Holy Spirit's ministered to my heart today. I mean, in some, some profound ways, just this morning. I, I sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. And I've said it often, many times when that happens to me, it's like Jesus just gently kisses my forehead. I know that's kind of a maybe a, a weird picture, but it works for me. At times as a father, you just lean into your kids. You know how that is? So it's not, I guess it's not that weird. You... You lean into them, you put your arms around them, and as a dad, you just you kiss their forehead. And God, God did that today for me. Just leaned in during the time of worship. It is well with my soul. He leaned in and said, that's true. And no matter what kind of pain you're going through in your family today, Lean into Jesus. Ask the Lord to show you which one of these lessons that He wants you to take encouragement in and conviction. So, Holy Spirit, we're here with with open hearts and open hands, if you will just open up your heart this morning. Find a posture of openness to God. Maybe it's just with your hands, just opened, raised to him in just a simple way. If you can do this, all that communicates is is I, I have an open heart, Holy Spirit, today. You know my family better than I know my family. You know, you know what my family needs more than I know what my family needs. Holy Spirit, you know the issues that 
that I'm going through, that you're going through the pain, the brokenness, for some the abuse. And Jesus is enough. Lean into him today. Lean into him today. Don't don't leave this place without a touch of the Holy Spirit. Why waste your time getting up and getting ready to come to church and not meet with God? What a waste of time. No, you chose to be here today. We choose, Lord, to bow. Maybe you just need to to take a place of brokenness. If you can find a place to kneel before the Lord, I encourage you to kneel before the Lord today. Just encourage you to do that. If you can right now. You are worthy, Jesus, to be adored. We love you like we love no one are nothing, Lord, beside you. We love you, Jesus. Pour out your spirit in this place. May hope arise in the hearts of your people in this place. I pray for the ones who are experiencing pain of the loss of a loved one. child who lost his his father teenager who lost his father a daughter who grew up without the nurturing care of a mother Jesus by your spirit pour out your healing in this place Relationships that are strained. Marriages that are on the rocks, Lord. God, I I pray as a pastor, I pray for marriages in this place. God, that you would bring your healing today. That there would be steps of healing today in, in the marriages, Lord, that are here. For those who suffer the pain of divorce that you would heal their hearts, God. So thank you, Lord, for a place of encounter today. We worship you, Lord. And all of God's people said, amen. You can stand. We're going to be dismissed in the hope of the Lord. The Lord bless you. May the face of Jesus shine upon you May you go in his hope today. God bless you. You are dismissed.